Ephesians chapter 2, in a moment, the reading will start at verse 11. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, insisted that he came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, came to fulfill the law and the prophets in his works, done as foretold in the prophets, and in his interpretation of the morality commanded in the law. The morality commanded in the law was not changed by our Lord Jesus and cannot be changed all during this age. He said that heaven and earth would sooner pass away than one jot or tittle pass out of God's law. When the Lord Jesus said, You have heard that it was said so and so, but I say to you, the Lord Jesus was not repealing or altering the Ten Commandments. Instead, he was defending them from the corrupt interpretations that the scribes and Pharisees had been teaching the people. He clarified for us that the real danger in breaking the commandment, Thou shalt not kill lies not in what judgment and punishment from men might come on us, but what judgment and punishment from God is sure to come. He clarified for us that the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, examines not only the acts of the body, but also the lusts of the heart and that the commandment cannot be circumvented by some clever use of divorce. Our Lord Jesus said most definitively that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. You remember that as the subject from last week. Along the lines, it may have occurred to you that our Lord's apostle Paul wrote something that can sound like the very opposite of that. Of course, what our Lord's apostles said and wrote, as recorded in the scriptures, was not really, was not truly contradictory to what the Lord Jesus himself said. But as the inspired theologians made important fine distinctions between one thing and another, it can sometimes sound that way, until we understand what they're getting at. So not that we are setting Paul and the Lord Jesus against each other, but we want to know more about this matter of abolishing or not abolishing the law. Because the Ten Commandments sit there very prominent in the Bible and very strongly recommended to us by previous generations of Christians, so we really want to know what to do with the Ten Commandments, whether or not they might be abolished in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were 
without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. There used to be a wall separating man into the Jew and the Gentile. I'm referring to verse 14 of what we just read. In Jerusalem, at the temple, at the time this was written, there was a literal wall stopping the Gentile from coming any further into the temple than the outer courtyard. But although this scripture in Ephesians might allude to that, it's not talking directly about that literal wall. Instead, it's talking figuratively about something that was like a wall, dividing man into Jew and Gentile. There used to be, figuratively speaking, a wall separating man into the Jew and the Gentile. Christ Jesus, when he came, broke down that wall so that it no longer separates man into Jew and Gentile. Again, Ephesians 2.14. He acknowledges that there had been a wall between the two, making them into two, but also that he has broken it down. Right there in verse 14, our various English Bibles translate slightly differently, but they all say essentially the same thing, and they all have some of the very same words. He has broken down the wall. The Jew and the Gentile are now one man rather than two since Jesus has broken down the wall that divided them. He has made both, or the two, one. Now that's, that's fitting because all mankind is one essentially. There is a unity to our race. God has made all nations of one blood. We're all descended from Adam. 
even much more recently than that, we're also all descended from Noah. That truth is recorded in the old records in Genesis, telling the origin of the human race. Then it comes out again strongly in the preaching of the Apostle Paul, who went and declared that in foreign cities. That there is more than one race among men, people talk about that a lot today, people being of different races. That is not a biblical concept and not biblical terminology. You don't find in your Bible that there's, that there's talk from the Lord about there being different races of men. Instead, that we are all of one blood. According to the Bible, God has made of one blood many nations. That's exactly how the apostle put it, that he has made of one blood many nations. I take that as an extremely helpful way of looking at ourselves and looking at each other. Because you know that if we look at the shade of our skin, or if we look at the shape of our eyes and noses, we do seem to be different. But if we look at the color of our blood, clearly we are the same. Two men, because their skin looks different, knife each other or shoot each other. But when their blood runs out on the ground and pools together, it all looks the same. Christ Jesus returned man, which had been divided into Jew and Gentile, to the essential unity in which he created us in Adam and in which we are descended from him and from Noah. So there used to be a wall separating man into the Jew and the Gentile. But Christ Jesus broke down that wall so that it no longer separates man into Jew and Gentile. The wall that Christ Jesus broke down was the law of commandments in ordinances. This is verse 15 of what we read. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments in ordinances. I'm passing over the concept of the enmity, not that it's not true, but that it's not um, to, the, to the point right now. The wall that Christ Jesus broke down was the law of commandments in ordinances. There are commandments in the Old Testament scriptures that separated man into the Jew and the Gentile, which now by Christ Jesus are abolished or abrogated. Abrogated is the technical term that appears in some of the Bibles. Abolished appears in the others. When you go and look up abrogated in the, in the dictionary, it says it means abolished. Um, and, and these things typically refer to laws or customs or institutions that have been abolished or abrogated. When there was one legislature, it passed some law, 
uh, a new legislature abolished it. When there was one monarch, he instituted something. When there was another monarch, uh, that was abrogated. So there are commandments in the Old Testament that separated man into the Jew and the Gentile. Those are now by Christ Jesus abrogated or abolished. Are there commandments that did not separate man into Jew and Gentile and so are not abolished or abrogated by Christ Jesus? Are there are there laws like that that did not separate man into Jew and Gentile? Was man separated into Jew and Gentile by the commandments God gave to Adam when he was created? Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Um, is that commandment to separate Jew from Gentile? Obviously not. So then, is that commandment abolished or abrogated by Christ Jesus? Clearly not. Was man separated into Jew and Gentile by the commandments God gave to Noah after the great flood? For example, Genesis 9, 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Did that commandment separate Jew from Gentile? No, no such, no such thing yet then. Is that commandment abolished or abrogated by Christ Jesus? Clearly not. Was man separated into Jew and Gentile by the commandments that appear in the Bible but that the Gentile also observed even if he didn't know the Bible. Were Jew and Gentile separated, were men separated into Jew and Gentile by those commandments that appear in the Bible, yes, but were also observed by the Gentile who didn't even know about the Bible. Romans 2, 14 and 15. When Gentiles who do not have the law, who do not have the law, don't know about the Bible, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Does that law then that appears in the Bible, but is also in Gentiles by nature, does that separate Jew from Gentile? No. Is that law abolished or abrogated by Christ Jesus? Clearly not. So you know that the overall plan I'm following in preaching these sermons is the Ten Commandments. I'm speaking to you today from Ephesians 2 to help us know what to do with the Ten Commandments. Take this point with you about that. Jesus Christ broke down the wall consisting of commandments in ordinances, those commandments 
that had separated man into Jew and Gentile. That does not mean he abolished the commandments that are common to both Jew and Gentile. That is, those commandments given to our whole race in one man, whether to Adam or to Noah, long before God spoke to Israel at Mount Sinai. I think the one man aspect of that historically might be helpful grasping the concept and remembering it. Adam was one man. There's no question whatsoever of Adam being divided into Jew and Gentile, being just one man. So then, it's impossible that any law from God given to Adam could be for the purpose of dividing men one from the other, having been given to one man, Adam. The same then comes with Noah. When Noah got off the ark, it's not that there weren't other people, but the other people were his own wife and his own three sons and their wives. So that when God spoke, he is speaking to Noah, one man, and no, nothing given as a command by God to Noah could be considered as something that would divide one man from another. There being just the one man, or if you need to include everyone who's there, just the one family. So those things given by God to one man cannot possibly be anything that would separate man from man. So whatever laws were built into us by nature, so they were built into Adam and they're built into those who used to be called the Gentiles, no matter whether they you know, have, have ever seen a Bible, they have this in their conscience by nature, those things cannot possibly be included among laws that separate one person from another. Um, neither, neither could those things spoken by God to Adam when Adam was the only one there receiving commands, or when Adam and Eve together were the only family receiving these commands, none of the commands given to them could possibly be of the nature of those things that separate Jew from Gentile. So not all commandments separated man into Jew and Gentile. But the apostles' doctrine here is that there are certain commandments that separated the Jew from the Gentile, and the apostle calls them here commandments in ordinances. That word ordinances in the Greek original occurs a few other times in the New Testament. Um, for example, in the well-known uh, birth of Jesus narrative, it says that Caesar Augustus, Augustus issued a decree that all the world should be taxed. Um, there's an example of the use of that word that we have as ordinances. Called here by the apostle commandments in ordinances, this type of law, this kind of commandment, is called in theology 
ceremonial law. I'm going to quote for a moment from our own confession, the 1689 Confession or Second London Confession. If you've got your favorite copy, you might get it out and refer uh, to chapter 19. If you would like to follow along but you don't have one with you, you could look in the back of our Blue Trinity Hymnal Baptist edition. And and somewhere back there, um, you, you will find our confession. I'm going to read from chapter 19 of the law of God. Now, part of the helpfulness of our confession is the interaction between the theological statements and the scripture proofs that are given. Uh, In previous versions of our confession, because you know the lineage of our confession, it essentially is descended from all the theological writings that went before it, More narrowly, it's descended from all the Protestant theological writings that went before it in the previous 150 years or so. More narrowly, it's descended from the Irish Articles, Bishop James Usher in the early 1600s. And then even more directly, it's descended from the Westminster Confession from the 1640s. Even more narrowly, the um, Savoy Declaration uh, from the 1650s. And then, um, and then also uh, has uh, elements directly from the first London Confession from the 1640s, and so it is. It is has the same statement here on the law in a lot of in mostly the same words that are found in those previous confessions. Those previous confessions don't all have scripture references. And in our Second London Confession of Faith, there are scripture references. One of the weaknesses of the copy in the back of our hymnal is that there aren't scripture references, I don't think. Some of you are looking at it, so you you know for sure. I don't think the scripture references are there. Um, Some of the helpfulness of our confession over against the earlier versions that I just mentioned is that ours have the scripture references, and then the student can see the interaction between the scripture references and the theological statements. So that when you see the theological statement in the confession, you can know some of the places to look in the Bible that are related to that theological statement. Sometimes it's obvious because the theological statement just quotes from Bible verses. Other times the concept is being uh, referred to but not the actual wording. But then there's another helpful part of this, of that interaction. And you can look at the scriptures that are referenced, and if you're trying to interpret some scripture passage, and it's referenced in our confession, then you can see in the confessional statement how those men interpreted that passage of scripture. So today I'm using that two-way street there to help us interpret what we're reading in Ephesians chapter 2. Because the part of our confession that I'm about to reference in chapter 19 of the law of God cites our passage from Ephesians 2 as its reference, one of its references. So our confession, chapter 19, 
Paragraph 3. God was pleased to give the people of Israel ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, all which ceremonial laws, being appointed only to the time of Reformation, are, by Jesus Christ, the true Messiah and only lawgiver, who was furnished with power from the Father for that end, abrogated and taken away. So there, the ordinances referenced in Ephesians 2 are equated with ceremonial laws. The the commandments in ordinances Paul references are ceremonial laws. And it is those ceremonial laws that are, as the apostle says, abolished or abrogated and taken away. Now, that is very standard Christian doctrine, not distinctive to Reformed churches. That opinion is held much more widely than just in churches that say Reformed, and not distinctive to Baptist churches. That doctrine is held much more widely, broadly, than just churches that identify as Baptist. That is very standard Christian doctrine that in Christ Jesus, the ceremonial law is abrogated and taken away. It is uh, very traditional and common to recognize that in the law, um, in the Old Testament law, there's three kinds of law. One of the kinds is ceremonial, and that that in Christ Jesus is abrogated and taken away. Many Christians, sadly, are poorly informed on that subject. I certainly was. I, I didn't understand this well many years ago. Many Christians are poorly informed on that subject, and so then they think that people who are ethnically descended from Israel still are supposed to follow those commandments in ordinances, uh, still supposed to obey that ceremonial law. But note that the apostle says that Jesus abolished them. He tore down that wall. He abolished uh, those commandments in ordinances, that ceremonial law. They are not in effect anymore. Even for people who are Jews according to the flesh, even for them, those ceremonial laws are no longer in effect They have been abolished in Christ Jesus. And notice that it doesn't make a bit of sense to say, well, yeah, they're abolished for Gentiles, but not for Jews. No, they were only for Jews. They are abolished, and therefore necessarily they are abolished for the Jews. Also, people poorly informed on this will think that even people who are not ethnically descended from Israel will do much better as Christians if they follow those commandments in ordinances than they will if they don't. But note that unity between the Jew and the Gentile is not in both observing the ordinances, 
but rather in neither observing the ordinances. It's not the teaching of our Lord and his apostles that, the, that those who would be called Gentiles, those of the uncircumcision, should make themselves one man with the Jews by observing all the same ordinances. No, it's not that. It's that they are all one new man because the ordinances are abolished, abrogated. There used to be a wall separating man into Jew and Gentile. Christ Jesus broke down that wall so that it no longer separates man into Jew and Gentile. The wall that Christ Jesus broke down was the law of commandments in ordinances. That is the ceremonial law. And Christ Jesus broke down the wall of commandments and ordinances in his flesh. Again, Ephesians 2, 14. He himself has broken this down. This refers to our Lord Jesus' death on the cross to save sinners. See that in verse 16? Through the cross, this thing about him abolishing it himself in his own flesh, it's referring to what he'd suffered on the cross to save sinners. In mentioning his flesh or body, it also has reference to his blood. You see in verse 13, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So it's in his own flesh, but not to exclude in his flesh and in his blood. You remember what the Lord Jesus said when he was uh, instituting the Lord's Supper. He said, For this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's in Matthew. Then later in Hebrews, it's explained to us that the coming of the new covenant made the old covenant pass away. Remember that when Jesus died on the cross, God tore the veil of the temple in two. It doesn't say in that place, God tore it in two. It says, it was torn in two from top to bottom. And the historical sources tell us the thing was enormous and very thick and beyond the power of anybody to just go in and tear it. So I am saying by implication, God tore the veil of the temple in two from top to bottom. Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split, and more amazing things happened. Some people who were dead came back to life. So when our passage says that Jesus abolished the law of commandments in ordinances, in his flesh. It means that when he died on the cross, 
the provisions of the new covenant came into wonderful effect, while the provisions of the old covenant were abolished or abrogated. When Jesus Christ, in the old way of saying it, gave up the ghost, the Old Testament ended and the New Testament began. So in the flesh of Jesus Christ and in his blood, the wall dividing man into Jew and Gentile was broken down. Thus, the one and only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, now reconciles sinners to God, not as the old Jew, and he is reconciled to God, and the old Gentile, and he is reconciled to God. No, not like that, but as one new man reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. The abolishing of the enmity between Jew and Gentile is wonderful, but really it is only a distant second in importance to how Jesus Christ abolishes the enmity between sinful man and holy God, in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, not only is the enmity between men abolished, but the enmity between man and God is abolished. You see in verse 15, there is the abolishing in his flesh, the enmity between man and man. But then in verse 16, that he might reconcile them both to God through the cross, putting to death the enmity, the enmity apparently that had been between man and God. There used to be a wall separating man into the Jew and the Gentile. Christ Jesus broke down that wall so that it no longer separates man into Jew and Gentile. The wall that Christ Jesus broke down was the law of commandments in ordinances, the ceremonial law. And Christ Jesus broke down that wall of commandments and ordinances in himself, in his flesh, when he died on the cross for sinners. Now, I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 10 to see how the Lord Jesus taught that to Peter. If you're already getting this perfectly, great. You'll still enjoy looking at this again. But if this is a little um, foggy to you still, or you're still having questions about this, this might help you a lot. Um, Peter, this thing that we're talking about today, Peter did not get right at first. And it wasn't just Peter, um, but Peter is the one that the Lord used to, to teach others. So we're going to see how the Lord Jesus taught this to Peter. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. 
But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Remember, Peter specialized in telling Jesus no to whatever Jesus had just said. A very bad practice not to be recommended. Okay. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius, Cornelius is a Gentile, not Jew, or what they considered Gentile. Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, that's an army officer, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. That would be people who were of the circumcision, people who believed in Jesus, but were among from uh, Peter's fellow Jews. The following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. The law of commandments in ordinances, that is the ceremonial law, had established a separation between the Jew and the Gentile. So in person, Peter and an army officer named Cornelius But that law of commandments in ordinances, the ceremonial law, pardon me, by that law, the Jew was holy and clean. The Gentile was not holy, but just common or vulgar. The Jew was clean. 
the Gentile was not clean, but unclean. Now, some of the most obvious of those ordinances were the food laws in which God, through Moses, had called some food clean, some food unclean, some food clean, like um, beef and lamb, some food unclean, like pork and shellfish. But Jesus taught Peter that the Jew no longer was subject to those ordinances that previously had separated him from the Gentile. Remember in the vision, the voice of Jesus told him, rise Peter, kill and eat, and it was unclean animals that he was supposed to kill and eat. And the voice spoke, saying, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. There had been a change that had taken place that Peter was not understanding. And so the Lord was teaching it to him. So in between getting that vision and starting to talk to Cornelius, Peter, the Holy Spirit helping him, got this. Peter, the Jew, expressed what he had learned to Cornelius, the Gentile, it wasn't, it wasn't lawful for me, a Jewish man, to come into your house and be with all you Gentiles, but God has just shown me that I should not anymore think of anyone as common or unclean. Cornelius and his household were then baptized, Peter preached the gospel to them, but he only got partway into it, and while he was still preaching, the Holy Spirit came upon all of them. They believed before the sermon was over. The Holy Spirit came upon them just as he had come upon Peter and the others of the circumcision. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter talks about that in the next chapter. You can read that as he was explaining to people who were critical back in Jerusalem. He said they were Baptized in the Holy Spirit, just as had been prophesied. Jesus baptized not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And so then he ordered they be baptized in water. So by means of that vision of the sheet of animals, with the command to kill and eat them, and the command from the Lord not to call anything unclean that God had cleansed, and the obvious conversion of these Gentiles, Cornelius and his household, our Lord Jesus taught Peter that the wall between Jew and Gentile was broken down. The law of commandments in ordinances was abolished. The ceremonial law was abrogated. There used to be a wall separating man into the Jew and the Gentile. Christ Jesus broke down that wall so that it no longer separates man into Jew and Gentile. The wall that Christ Jesus broke down 
was the law of commandments in ordinances, the ceremonial law. Christ Jesus broke down the wall of commandments and ordinances in his own flesh when he died on the cross for sinners. The Lord Jesus showed that to Peter in how he sent Peter to preach to the household of Cornelius. So now, in Christ Jesus, the sinner repenting of his sins, trusting in Jesus, is reconciled to God as one man with all others who also are so trusting. Amen. Let's take this to the Lord in prayer.